Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Judges. And we'll get there eventually. Uh, tell you a story about uh, a mom living in a small town and she uh, had to go over to the neighbors and uh, talk to the neighbor lady. And while she was over there, her children were left unattended. There may or may not have been five of them. And so uh, when she came back home, the first thing she noticed upon uh, entering the door was that it was all quiet. Any, anybody ever had this, uh, if you're a parent? What happens when things are all quiet and you have a large number of kids? Bad things, that's right. So curious, she decides to walk in, and in the living room were five of her youngest kids all huddled around, muddling between themselves very quietly. And as she got closer, she realized what the source of their attention was. There were these small animals, five of them, that the kids were surrounding. They were black and white. So being the typical mom, she screamed and said, kids, run, which all the kids, each one of them picked up a skunk and ran out of the house. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you know this about skunks, but if you startle them or do things that are not normal, at least concerned to them, they have one major defense uh, weapon or at their disposal. Yeah, it's a bioweapon. Exactly. Yeah. And if you've never had that experience, there is a whole realm of difference between driving by a dead one and being sprayed by one or being in clock's uh, proximity to something that's been sprayed. Two totally different things. If you, if you've only driven by a dead skunk, uh, you have not had the full experience. Um, and yeah, you watch the people that say, oh, just bathe them in tomato juice and all that stuff. It takes it out. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It dampers it down some, but that's a special, you know, stuff that's like, uh, glue. It just sticks to whatever it goes to. So we were in the book of Judges last time. And we were in Judges chapter 1, and we were in verse 17. And as where we're starting up, and it says, And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephath, and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. So last time, I don't know if you remember, we talked about, there's a reason why um, Judah wanted Simeon to go with him. So the first thing is, God told Judah, you just go up there. So the first thing we realize is that Judah didn't have the faith that they needed to just do what God told them. Judah's like a lot of us. Sometimes God tells us to do things and we're like, uh, God, do you have ID? How about two forms of ID? Could you say that again just to make sure, just in case you were, you know, you were looking for somebody else? Do you realize who you're talking, you know, all those kinds of excuses? That's what Judah's doing here. God told him to go up there. Now remember, Judah has the advantage of something that we don't have. Some of these people saw all of the things that went on not that long ago in the book of Judges, or sorry, Joshua. They saw Jericho fall. They saw how God did that victory. God tells us that we're supposed to live by faith, not by sight. Now, God may give you something that you can visibly see that God did something for you. But we're supposed to live by faith. We're supposed to read the book. We're supposed to believe the book and believe it whether or not all the other stuff makes sense sometimes. Because as a new Christian, or as a new person to the, to believing the book, that's a, that's a big road to get over. Uh, If you grow up and you didn't grow up in a Bible believing church, 
that's a big difficult thing to get over is the fact that you're just going to believe the book even if you don't understand it. Because there's some stuff when you read it the first couple times, you're like, what? I'm not even sure what I read. Uh, there's still stuff at my more advanced stage now that I read it. It's like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't there the last time I read this. <laughs> I, You know, I, I, I don't know how I missed it. I've read this book or read this verse or whatever, and I never, it's like, wow. It's like, you know, a light bulb went off or something like that. God has the ability to do that sometimes, and it, but it's easy in our time of faith sometimes not to have the faith we're supposed to have. And, but the problem with faith is it's one of those things that only comes by trials. You gotta go through some things for that faith to grow. Otherwise, you really don't have faith. You have a belief. Uh, faith is something that goes through a trial. It comes through the other end. It comes through brighter and stronger because of that trial, not lessened because of the trial. So we see here in Judges chapter 117 that he asked for Simeon to come. So we, we all understand he's not believing, or the tribe's not believing God's promises. They don't think they can do it. They've got all the excuse, whatever the excuses are. You know, they're bigger than we, they're taller than me. They know how to use the weapons better than me. I'm not talented. I'm not coordinated. I don't have the fancy armor. I don't have the fan, you know, whatever the excuse is, they came up with it. But then the next thing they do is they went to Simeon, the brother, and they said, hey, come on, we want you to go with. And I don't know if you remember, we talked a little bit about there was a specific reason why Judah wanted Simeon to go. Now, the first reason is Simeon's territory was within the land of Judah. They were landlocked. So this Judah was given all this land and kind of right in the middle is this circle. And that's like, there you go, Simeon, that's yours. That's one of them. But the bigger issue is Simeon's a fighter. If you go through and you study the tribe of Simeon, one, they're, they're really good at fighting. If you need somebody and you want to go, you know, hack some limbs off some people, Simeon and Levi, those are the two brothers you want out of this group of 12. Uh, they're the two that are like, oh, you mean there's a battle? Let's go. One of the ways we can see that is Simeon is the only tribe that they killed all the bad guys in their land. God didn't rebuke them for not get doing what God told them to do. Now, I'm not sure they did it with the right spirit and all the other stuff, but they did clean out all the Canaanites, Hivites, Hittites, whoever else was coming through the land that didn't belong there. They just killed them all, wiped them out. None of the other tribes did that. So Simeon's a fighter. So it's kind of like the, you know, the old saying we had in the Navy is, uh, if you were out in some port district or whatever, what you wanted was a couple of Samoan friends. You know, cause they may be like six foot one or whatever and about six feet wide. And if you shoot them or stab them, it's just going to make them angry. You know, kind of a thing. That's the kind of, you know, you wanted somebody with you who would have your back. And that's what Judah's really looking for. They're looking for somebody to help them have some strength. They're looking to have some victory and they're not leaning and trusting on God. So understand when they go through this trial, they're not learning all the things that they could learn. They're looking for some man-made way to make it through this trial like we often do. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those persons, like when I'm thinking through things, I try to come up with a plan A, B, C, D, and as far down as many letters of the alphabet as I can go. And then usually somewhere way, way, way lower than it should be is, oh, hey, God, you know, I haven't had you involved anywhere up until now that I've done like half the alphabet. Uh, could you please help me out? And he's, and usually about that time he's going, well, dummy, you should have, that should have been your plan A. You'd think by now you would have learned this. Plan A is go to knees. Put your head down and say, please, God, help me. I'm an idiot, right? And then let God do something. So in verse 18, it continues on. It says, and Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof and Ascalon with the coast thereof and Ekron with the coast thereof. Understanding this is a major source of problem for the Jews today. 
There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. The Gaza Strip, verse 19, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. You know, I think this is one of the saddest verses that you'll ever read. And I think it's one of the saddest things you'll experience in your life is when God tells you to do something, he equips you to do it, sends you on your way, and you're like, oh, but they got chariots of iron. Do you think chariots of iron were really a problem for God? You know, I can't remember this whole other story where God sent yellow jackets, hornets, and about every other creeping thing that could sting and be a real pain in the neck to go before an army and take care of them. I don't know about you, but if you were fighting somebody and you had yellow jackets and hornets trying to sting you the entire time, you would not be fully preoccupied for the fight. God has a myriad of different ways to deal with things, and we just need to trust him. And so what we see here is the fact that now they've got an excuse. Well, he, he's, he's good in the mountains, but now that we're down in the valleys and they have more advanced technology, uh, they have these chariots of iron, then there's nothing we can do. Well, Russia has found out the advantage in technology isn't always that advantageous in the Ukraine war. I don't know if you've noticed the Ukraine war, one of the biggest hallmarks of this war versus anyone in recent mindset is nobody has complete air power. Nobody can just fly their planes and bomb anything they want. In fact, if you put a plane up, it'll probably get shot down. And so it's caused a stalemate now where Russia has learned for all the money they spent on airplanes and bombs and missiles and all this other stuff, all it takes is a guy with a really cheap little uh, um, pad or stinger rocket or whatever to be able to take out any airplane, any helicopter, any air thing, and really change how they're dealing with that warfare. It's completely different how we do as America. What we do like to do in America is we come in, we get in control of the air over a certain area, and then we push. Well, when you're already right next to each other, that's kind of hard to do. And the Russians have also learned out, they've got all these Ukrainians that are like, well, we're using whatever we've got. They're hacking little uh, uh, drones to carry grenades and bombs and all sorts of other things to get around what? They don't have the advantage of numbers and technology. What they have is a willingness to find a way to win. And, it, and obviously, it's way more personal for the Ukrainians when you're on their land than it is the Russians who have come from all over Russia and are now fighting in somebody else's land. There's a whole different motivation there. Second thing with the Ukrainians, if you think about it, well, in 2014, Russia came in and took over Crimea. So they know this is, they know the game plan. They know how this plays out. And they understand they're in a fight to the death. See, that's the problem for some of us in our Christian walk. We don't take the, we don't take the battle seriously. It's no big deal. It doesn't matter if we win. Oh, you know, there'll be another chance. There'll be another whatever. And you know what? That may be true. But sometimes God puts us in a very specific battle or a certain challenge in our life. And what he wants to do is refine us and make us more precious. Sometimes he puts us in a situation with health concerns that, you know, let's just face it. We're not going to sign up for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I love Pastor Ken, but I guarantee if I would have sat down to him a year and a half ago and said, hey, Ken, God's got this miraculous plan. You're going to get to spend a year plus whatever going in and out of hospitals. They're going to slice and dice you like, you know, you got a whole bunch of Ginzo knives, uh, you know, that some kids have and they're running through the house, you know, and all these other things say, hey, you want to sign up for that? I'm pretty sure he'd say no. 
And there's so many other things like that in our lives, but that doesn't always mean that's what's going to happen for us. Sometimes we get put in those situations. The part there is you need to fight. And sometimes that, that's a spiritual warfare fight. It's not a physical fight. It'd be a lot easier if we could just see what the enemy is. You know, it'd be a lot easier if there's some physical, tangible thing that you could just, well, if you just beat this thing up enough, it'll go away and you're done. You know, I'm pretty sure if you tell, if I would have told Ken, well, okay, this is what's going on, but there's this target about 100 yards away, and if you can shoot it and just take out the whole red zero circle at the bullseye, then it'll go away. This problem would have been taken care of a long time ago. I'm pretty sure of it. I'm pretty sure Ken could have got that taken care of. But that's not how God sometimes does the trials in our life. And when we see this, uh, I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20, because we're going to see some things that has happened in their past that they have forgotten about. And it's very easy in today's modern society with all the things going on and information and stories and experiences and all the stuff just flying around that we can very easily get lost in what's going on. So Deuteronomy chapter 20, we're going to look in verse 1. It says, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and what? Chariots. And people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Let's look in verse 4. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Some of these battles you're going on, Yes, you're in the fight, and yes, you're supposed to fight, but the major part of the warfare isn't you, it's God. The major heavy work that's going on is unseen by our eyes, and it's being done by God. God doesn't have a problem with just a few saving a whole bunch. God doesn't have a problem taking one person, man or woman or child, and having them stand up in the right place to bring about a victory. Uh, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 2. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. Hmm. Does anybody remember seeing judges anywhere this part happening? Nope. If you're going to do things, you got to do it God's way, not man's way. You want to get in spiritual warfare? You got to do it God's way, not man's way. Uh, not the way the movies showed you. Not the way the TV series that got all the awards showed you. It's doing it God's way. So if Judah was going to take somebody to go into the land and they were going to fight battles, which tribe should they have taken? Was it Simeon? No, it was Levi. Take the priests with you. Before you go into battle, have them rehearse unto you the promises of God, all those other kinds of things. That's why it's important for Christians when we come to church, the purpose of church is to help us to learn and to grow as individuals. Why? So then we can turn around and pivot and take it to somebody else. Uh, it, it's not here just for somebody to stand up here and be the center of attention. It's not just here to fill up the seats and say, yes, we stand with God, so we're going to sit down in a seat. The purpose of all of this is to help you and to educate you and to train you and to equip you for spiritual warfare in your own lives and in the benefits of others. So that when somebody says, hey, I'm dealing with this spiritual warfare, well, you now know a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 20 that tells you, look, if you're going to go into battle, you need God on your side. 
And if you want God on your side, then you've got to do it God's way. And one of those things is having somebody rehearse, as it says here in verse 2, and it shall be when ye are come nigh unto battle, when, when it's getting ready to get on, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day into battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. Understand that what they're saying is to people who are going to die. Not everybody comes out of a battle alive. There are people who die, good people who die, bad people who die. One of the things that happens in this warfare of our life is sometimes saints don't get the victory. They don't. They, they, from all appearances sake, lose the battle. But here's the difference. They may lose the battle, but they're winning the war. The war is they're already saved. They're going to heaven. The saddest thing of all is to be in a battle where you lose the battle and you lose the war. Uh, notice, uh, I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, we see a case of spiritual warfare going on, and we see the results of it. Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I think that's some of the saddest words you'll ever see in a Bible. It's the saddest words you'll ever hear from somebody is if you're involved in spiritual warfare and you're trying to witness to them and you're trying to help them get saved, all these other things, and they're like, well, I almost believe you. I almost think you've got a good thing going. Almost fill in the blank. And that's unfortunate. Uh, I want you to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. And in 1 Kings chapter 20, we're going to see something where God's, unfortunately for us, sometimes, we don't get in the battle. Or sometimes we don't get in the battle right, and God decides, hey, guess what? You're going to get to go through this particular battle again. But in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23, it says, And said unto the servants, the king of Syria said unto them, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. If you remember the rest of the story, God says, I heard you. You think I'm only the god of the mountains? Wait a second, I've got something for you. It doesn't matter whether you have chariots of iron or not, or you're in the valley or not. There's no place you can go that God cannot be there to help you. There's no situation in life that you can get into with health that God cannot understand where you're at, cannot bring you comfort, and cannot bring you strength. Now, it may not be physical strength that he gives you, but he can give you the spiritual strength to go for whatever battle's going on. I have no doubt that whatever particular issue you have in your life, and I'm sure everybody here has got some kind of battle going on in their life, God is more than capable to meet your needs. But one of the things is a condition of us. Are you willing to listen to him? Are you willing to do things his way? Or are you going to keep fighting the battle on your own? Let's turn over First Kings chapter 20 or down to verse 27. And it says, And the children of Israel uh, were numbered and were all present and went against them. That's the first thing is if you're getting in a spiritual battle and you're, let's say you're battling something as a church, well, then you need everybody to show up. You need the whole church body to fight things. God talks about the church body as a member, that we're all members of it. And if you're not here, then the church is missing out. 
The church is missing something that God says is important. It is important for you to be in church. It is important for you to show up in church services. And I understand I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. You're here. I mean, you just got fed a whole bunch of food and you're still awake. God bless you. But understand when you're not here, the church body is missing part of it. God meant it to be complete, meant it to be full, meant it to be a whole bunch of all these different people with different personalities and different skills and different talents and different ability to help. That's, that is the army that God's putting together when they're a church. And then continuing after verse 27, uh, and then in verse 28, it says, And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore I will I deliver all this great multitude into thy hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Sometimes when we do things God's way, he's going to give you a tremendous victory in a battle. And he's, the reason he's doing it, he goes, I want to make sure you remember who I am. I want to make sure sometimes you remember how great I am. Because there's going to come times later in life where you're going to need to be able to look back and have that bedrock foundation of knowing, yeah, I know who my God is. I know in whom I've believed. I don't have any doubts about who he is and what he's capable of doing. Uh, the other thing is, turn over to Joel chapter 3. This is a picture of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this whole battle that's going on. Joel chapter 3. In Joel chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord also shall roar out of Zion. I don't know about you, but there's going to come a day when you're going to see the greatest battle ball. You're going to get to see the lion of the tribe of Judah in warfare. I don't, I don't know what your favorite war movie is and who your favorite action figure is that you've seen in a movie. I'm just telling you it's going to be nothing compared to what it's going to be like when we see Jesus Christ standing up as the king of kings, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and roaring. I mean, we already know a lot of things about roaring lions. Is One is it travels a huge amount of distance. It is very, very loud. It's not one of those things that you want to be walking through. Let's say you're downtown Ridgefield tonight. It's like one in the morning. It's dark out. Maybe the street lights are flickering and you hear behind you a roar that is so loud that you don't want to turn around and you also don't want to run and you don't know what to do other than, oh, Lord, please help me. You know, those kinds of things. Imagine what it's going to be like for all these people who've rejected Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And God shows up as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is going to be the most amazing war film ever seen. And the thing is, it's not going to take any effort for him. Not at all. So let's continue. Joel chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, in here, 
It says multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There will be an innumerable amount of people that are going to be in the valley of Armageddon fighting against God Almighty. And how sad that is. And one of the things that we should think about when we see things like this is, Lord, there's this one person I know that's not saved. Please give him another chance. Please help me to give him a track. Please help me to talk to him. Please help to bring the right person in. If it's not me, bring the right person in to talk to him. Please give him another chance. Yeah, we're not going to win the multitudes. The Bible already has cast judgment on this earth and the, on all the peoples of the earth. But you know what? That doesn't change the fact that one person can still get saved. One more can get saved. And we don't know what is God waiting for to come back right now. Maybe it's just that one last person to get saved. Maybe it's just that one last person he's waiting for before the trumpet blows and we're out of here. Let's turn it back to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 1. In verse 19, it says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. That's not the reason he couldn't, they couldn't drive them out. It's because they no longer had faith in God and who he was and what he could do. They'd given up. It was too hard. And let's face it, we're all going to face struggles in our life, and there's going to be a temptation to give up, to not stay in the fight, to... Well, you know, it's just not that important anymore and all those kinds of things. Then in verse 20, it says, and they gave Hebron this city that has multiple names and that's not, that's common. That's why your Bible tells you to study to show thyself unapproved. There's towns that have two, three, four names in the Bible. So when we see a name on something, sometimes getting out of concordance or a Bible program and just searching on that name will help you learn some things about this particular area. It says, and they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. Uh, interesting thing about this, if you think about it, Caleb, hmm, was he one of the spies that went into the land? Yep. Do you know all the way back in the Old Testament when he went there, he saw those three giants. He already knew who was there. He knew who the enemy was. He understood that was the battle before him. That's one of the problems sometimes with us as Christians is we believe this worldly idea that somehow if we get saved, life is going to be beautiful, and you can be like a six, eight-year-old girl skipping through the backyard with sunshine and flowers hanging out of your hands and just having a great time. That's not from the Bible. Time and chance hath us to all men. It doesn't matter who you are. There are some things that are just going to happen to you that are special to you. There are other things God may bring into your life to try you, to help you become more furnished, to make you more usable for him for a particular mission in the future. Um, and so it says, and he expelled the three sons of Anak. He knew those people were there. He, it wasn't a surprise to show up and see three giants living in that land in that particular area. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Isn't that sad? You now have the recipe for world history. What happened? God in his mercy allowed his chosen people to be in Egypt, a type of the world, for 400 years as slaves in order for this people in this other land with all their abominable practices to get right with God to clean up all the filthy, wicked stuff that they were doing 
And God says at the end of the 400 years, okay, I'm going to bring you back out. I've now pronounced judgment. You go and you wipe them out. And they didn't. And the rest of the book of Judges, because of this start, shows all the other problems that happen. It's the same thing in our own personal Christian life. You know, when we get saved, there's some things God may take away. You may have had been smoking, drinking, whatever, and God may have taken it away, and it's never a problem for you anymore. But there's some other things God leaves in the land. Why? To work on you. And one of the things that happens is you fighting against these should make you stronger and should make you better. But what they did is, well, we just got them to give us money. That's not what God told them to do. God says, you kill them. You get rid of them. You don't make peace with them. That's our modern society. We want to make peace with things. We want it the easy way. I'll give you an example of how I think God thinks of that. And somehow in World War II, the United States was simultaneously able to fight against Japan and the axis of Germany and Italy and all the other things. And we could win in World War II. In Korea, fighting North Koreans and some Chinese, we couldn't. The best we got was we got this little, you know, Maginot French line, the DMZ. Next war, Vietnam, couldn't win at all. What happened? Are you telling me the country that had the industrial manufacturing capability to fight two simultaneously real large world wars somehow couldn't fight against a third world country? Because that's what, let's, let's face it, when they were fighting Korea and Vietnam, they were not fighting the highest technology. Yes, there was some good technology and other stuff brought in by the communists. But that, is that really the problem? Is that why we lost? No, we turned our back on God and God started turning his back on us as a nation. And when God turns his back on you and you get into warfare, you are in trouble. Look at all the stories from World War II of young men and young ladies standing up, doing the right thing, and accomplishing magnificent things. But when you start leaving God out of it, you don't need God anymore. Then things start getting really bad, and warfare does not end up well. Judges 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 23 or verse 22, and the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city and they said unto him, show us, we pray thee, the entrance unto the city and we shall show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. And then we see here in this particular case, they come up to this and they see somebody coming out and like good military intel, hey, how do I get in here? How do I attack this? How do I do that? So in our Christian battle, one of the things we should be talking to is talking to the pastor, talking to the saints, reading the Bible, praying for God, give me some clues about how I can fight this battle. You know, some battle God puts you into, it's like Jericho. He's like, you just walk around quiet, I'll take care of the rest of it. Some other ones, it's like, no, you're in for the long haul. But sometimes in these battles, he's like, hey, I'll help you out. Can you listen to the small, still voice? Can you listen to when God wants to speak to you? Or are we so 
consumed with things of the world, the things that are going on around us, that we can't hear this small, still voice anymore. We can't hear God saying, hey, I can help you in this battle. Hey, there's this guy going to be coming out. Talk to him. You know, that might be somebody on the side of the road. That might be you for somebody else in this church. That might be somebody else doing that. And what they need to do is they need to talk to you because you've got the answer to help them in that spiritual warfare that's going on. By the way, the word descry means to explore or examine by uh, uh, exploration. And that's from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which I recommend if you have a King James Bible, the next thing you ought to have next to it, or the electronic version thereof, is a Webster 1828 Dictionary. Because if you go through and you search that Bible and you can't find out what that word, the next best place you can go is there. I'm not saying it's 100% right, but I'm saying it. it's a good help to help you understand the few words in here that we don't still use today. Judges 1, chapter 24, and the spies saw this man. He came forth out of the city. And that gave them the ability to have this great battle. You know what I see as a sad thing out of this whole story? Here's this man. He came out of the city. He's given freedom and liberty. The whole city gets wiped out. And what does he do? He just goes up north and makes another city just like it. Instead of going, hey, maybe God's trying to get my attention. Maybe I never stopped the stuff I've been doing in the past, the ways I've been doing stuff, and go, God, do you want me to do something different? God, is there some other way that I could be doing things? You know, look at some of the circumstances when difficulties come in your life. It's a good opportunity to stand back and go, God, do I need to make some changes in my life? Is there something that I can do in that regard? Um Verse 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanak, nor her towns, nor the inhabitants Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahahol, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. And it, the list just continues going on and on. What it is, what it is, it's people who got tired of fighting and say, Lord, I just want to dwell with these people. Hey, I put them in a tribute. See, Lord, we're getting some money. We can put this, it allows me to put more money in the offering plate, all this other kind of stuff instead of doing what God told them to do. Not understanding the reason why God told them to get this out of their life and get it far away from them was the fact that God knew what the ultimate outcome of that is. God has the long look. God knows that if you don't deal with this, it's going to come back and it's going to come back in spades. For a couple reasons. Number one, God told them because you didn't do what I told you to do. And your pride and you are going to get lifted up and you're going to think you're all that and all this other stuff. And God's going to go. I'm going to take these people that you have as your tributaries and I'm going to use them as a judgment on you. I'm going to allow them to break those bands and they're going to be in control of you. They're going to oppress you. They're going to cause you all of these kinds of problems. God didn't tell them to put them in a tribute. God told them to wipe them out. And honestly, they could have just wiped them out and had them leave. God get, said, get them out of the land. I think honestly that there's no reason to believe that the Canaanites couldn't have left. 
I don't know about you, but you've seen a battle and you see things going the wrong way. You have a choice. You can leave. So, in this particular case, God wanted the land to be clean. And he wanted to be righteous and follow the rules and everything else. By the way, God tells you you're supposed to know how to possess your vessel. You're supposed to be in control of you. You're supposed to be the one that is in control of things, not your flesh in control of you. So your battle is God says you need to clean out the land and get rid of junk. For you, that could be thing A. It could be thing B. It could be thing C. Whatever it is, those are things that sometimes in our lives we need to take stock at different points in our life and go, you know, it's time to get rid of some stuff. I just don't need this anymore. it's not helping me in my spiritual warfare. Yeah, I might be have them as a tributary. They're not, they're not really in control of me right now, but they're always just there ready to just flame into this big explosion and be another problem in your life again. Um, Look in, or sorry, Judges 1, uh, chapter 29, it says, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Later on in the book of Judges, you're going to see this is going to make them pay dearly. If they could have known what was going on and what the cost would be, I'm sure the Ephraimites, if they would have known that, they would have emptied all of them out of the land. And they didn't. And because of that, large number of Ephraimites died. There are Christians who get into a spiritual warfare battle and they're, they died. Spiritually, they're dead. There's nothing left. They gave up. Battle's over. They lost. God doesn't want you to be a loser. Now, God may not want you to be the victor in the way that you want to be the victor. See, it's one of those, God, just take this away from me and don't make it a battle anymore. That's not always how God wants to do things. Uh, Judges 1, 30 and 31, uh, we see Zebulun and Asher and the Asherites and verse 33, neither did Naphtali. And the verse 34, and the Ammonites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not suffer them to come down on the valley. Here's where we see a huge problem, another huge problem come up with the Danites are. They were told to go in the, into their land, and they did not do a good job at all. In fact, they were stuck up living up in the high hills. They couldn't, and if you know anything about living up in the hills, that's not the best place to have crops at. You want that valley land, the bottom land, if you're going to grow crops. And they had to live up high, and they couldn't come down in the valleys because they were being oppressed by the Canaanites. And it gets so bad that they go, I know that God promised me this land, and this is where I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to leave because the battle's too difficult. That's what the Danites did. They ended up leaving and moving way up north, way away from their all their other brethren that could have helped them in the battle, and they left them, and they went all on their own. And then you read the judges and all the things that come after that, and you see just the disaster that became the tribe of Dan. Well, they didn't do what God told them to do. And when things weren't going right, instead of getting down on their knees and say, oh, God, please help us, they said, you know what we need to do? We just need to leave this promised land because obviously God's a liar, and we're going to go somewhere else, and we're going to do something different. And it just, it was just this complete downfall one after the other with the tribe of Dan of all the things that happened. 
turn over to Judges chapter 49, or sorry, Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, we're going to look in verse 6, starting in verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels. And so shall the rider, or the rider shall fall backwards. So notice the serpent has a tendency to go for the heels, just like the tribe of Dan. Secondly, notice that Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes. The Webster's 1828 dictionary will tell you as means like. It isn't one of them, it's like, it's as one of those tribes. This is giving us some spiritual application that we can learn more about in the tribe of Dan later in the book of Judges. But turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and then we'll close with this. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15, and it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise, or, or sorry, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God's saying all the way back in Genesis, right here, there's no kids, it's just Adam and Eve, and he says right there about some things dealing with the serpent. And he says the first thing to know with the serpent in this particular case is he's going to put enmity. You've got an enemy. The second thing is it's between God's seed and her seed. Now the first thing to know about that is a woman doesn't have any seed of her own. Right? I mean, just speaking biologically. So, but yet it says, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the first thing is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the seed in this particular case prophetically, and it says, shall bruise thy head. That's crushing the head of a serpent. That's a mortal injury. You're going to die. And there are types that the Bible will see in the book Judges later on. And then it says after that, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You can have your heel bruised. I don't know if any of you bruised your heel before, but you know, you will live. It may not be really comfortable to walk for a while, but you will live. It is not a death type injury. And so when we see all of this, we can see some types of what God's trying to do and teach us some other things and use some other things where we can put them together and see some prophetic things that are coming out of there. And the tribe of Dan and some of the things that goes on with Dan and Dan's religion uh, comes later in the book of Judges, and you can read all about it. When we read that, that's supposed to be for our edification. That's supposed to help us understand there are some systems out there that are not God's systems religiously. And they teach some things that aren't right. And we need to be educated, not that we need to know every little detail. That's not the thing. But we should know a few salient points. You know, you don't have to know every little detail about evil to understand something's evil. You just need a couple. Right? I don't need to know all of the occult stuff that goes on in the world, but I know enough of it to know it's bad and I don't want anything to do with it. Um, you know, I told you before in as an illustration that my uh, great grandma was into the Ouija board and all the other stuff and some bad things happened to her later in life. Well, that was enough for me to realize as a young child, I don't know nothing from nothing. I don't want anything to do with that. That's all I had to learn. I don't, I don't need to know all the details. I don't need the gory details. I just need to know enough to make an educated biblical 
viewpoint on how to deal with those things. The same thing with the, the tribe of Dan. When we're looking at this, we have the ability to go into the spiritual warfare of our lives to determine, are we going to be like Dan? Are we going to be like Caleb? Are, are, you're going to have some of these battles, like in the book of Judges, that are going to happen over and over. You're not going to get complete victory this side of heaven. But there's a big difference of how you fight. There's a big difference in what your motivation is behind the fight. Are you just in it tokenly or are you really in? Um, it's very easy to make it look good. And let's face it, I, I don't know any of you well enough to know a lot of things. But you know you well enough to know, am I really in the battle? Am I really fighting the the way that God wants me to? Or am I just faking it? Am I making it look good? You know, I, I dress up and I put a you know tie on. Uh, on my way here, I stopped at uh, Love's, uh, went in and grabbed a soda while I was filling up the car, and this guy came up to me and goes, are you a lawyer? Are you a prosecutor? You know, because I had a tie. I didn't even have my jacket on. I just had the tie and the pants on, you know, and I was like, no, not any of those. I'm just going to church, you know, kind of a thing. I could have told him yes, and he would not, he'd have no clue. He'd believe it, right? Why not? That's the same thing of being a Christian. We can have the, all the appearances of being a Christian. We can say those things, but is it real and is it true? Are you in a place where if you needed God to answer you right now in prayer, that you know beyond a shadow of doubt you could get down on your knees and you could pray and have God listen to you and it wouldn't be, well, you know, Lord, I haven't talked to you and well, I don't remember the last time I talked to you and I know I've got this stuff that I'm not doing right and I, I know I need to clean this up and get this cleaned up for you just so you'll listen to me about my prayer. You want God to be on a, you know, the short answer. You want the, like the bat phone, you know, you just pick it up and click and then the other side rings and they pick it up. We don't want to have to reestablish that fellowship with the Lord because some of the battles in life, they come up quickly way quicker than we can ever possibly imagine at times. You know, you're driving down the road and everything's good until it's not. All it takes is to be driving 70 miles down the road and have some part of your car decide that it no longer wants to play and it falls out of your car. Bad things can happen. Uh, and it may not even be your car. Maybe the car in front of you has a large major piece of metal come out of it and come flying right at your car. Do you have a close enough relationship with the Lord that when you're in that spiritual battle, you can just go, oh, Lord, please help me. I'm a man. It's me again standing in the need of prayer, but please help me. That's what Judah didn't do. They didn't go back to the Lord. Lord, we're trying, but we're not winning. We're not getting the victory. You don't see that anywhere in here of going on there. And I think that's a tragic shame is to think, well, I just lost. And so we'll just leave it be the way it is. It's good enough. but is good enough really where you want to be? Is good enough really the height of your Christianity? You know, I have arrived. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I don't know about you, but I know my personal answer is I'll never be good enough. But on the other hand, I also have to be honest and go, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is the battle that you want me to go? And I understand I may not want it, but please help me to have the strength to go through that battle, to approach that battle in the right way. If for no other reason than somebody on the outside looking at me will go, there's something different about the way that he's acting in this particular battle than I would act. And that may be enough for them to go, hey, why are you doing this differently than I would? What makes you different? 
And then you can tell them, look, it ain't me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes me different. He's the one that gives me hope. He's the one that gives me strength. He's the one that helps me at the battle. It's all him. It's nothing to do with me. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for each person that was here. Uh, We pray, Lord, we bless all the hands that uh, worked on the food, Lord, or brought something. Pray that you would just strengthen them and help them, uh, Lord, for just uh, spending of their time and their effort to do things. We pray for everybody that came to church tonight, Lord, that whatever battles are going on in their lives, that you'd give them the victory, Lord, that you'd show them how to have the strength and the purpose and be equipped to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, Lord, in some of these battles, Lord, they may lose the battle, but win the war, Lord. And we pray that you'd give them the comfort and the strength that they need, if that's the case. We know, Lord, that there's a new week starting, Lord, today, and there's work tomorrow. And we just pray that you'd help each person here to uh, be the best example they can be for you, Lord. That we put you first in all our thoughts and all the things that we do, Lord, and try as much as we can and as imperfect as we are to give you all the praise and glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.